You know, I find it amazing that we can come to the grace of God and receive the grace of God to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from the inside out, to allow God to come in and to do this miraculous work in us. And then we set out on this pursuit of God, which begins to, again, in our lives, our natural inclination then is to begin to divert ourselves back to the concern of how we look on the outside. And it becomes all about this perception and this place where we want people to think that we're this and we're that. And we've got all this together based on this outward appearance, this outward place. And again, I, without a show of hands, you know, how many people come, you know, dressed and ready and, you know, you showered and got everything together. And, and you come in here and you got everything where it looks like it's together, but we're broken and hurting on the inside. I mean, it becomes evident in, in just those who were willing to raise their hand today. I think there's a whole other group that probably wished they, at this point, would have been able to raise their hand, but something in me said, no, I can't let anybody know that I've got an issue or something's going on in my life. And I, I, I'm going I'm to talk about this. I am, we're going to, honestly, we're going to sacrifice some sacred cows today. I, I don't know, you know, we'll see. Maybe it's some of your cows. Be careful. I, I mean, again, y'all root me on when I'm sacrificing other people's cows. But what about yours? Well, I don't have any. You just proved you do. We're going to look at and I'm going to read to you in, in Luke chapter 5, in verses 17 through 26. Um, we, we begun to go through this last week, and I, I want to continue through this, but there's something that I touched on last week that really this week stuck with me, and I want to press into it because I believe that Jesus ministered on purpose. Yes, okay, let me, let me say that again. Jesus ministered on purpose. He did not minister by accident. And what I mean by that is that what Jesus did, Jesus did on purpose. And I do not believe that the Bible is a whole bunch of stories of happenstance that are just brought together and thrown into there so that they're included. I believe that Jesus had a purpose for why he did what he did when he did it. And that his purposes were for you and for me. Because Jesus is our example and he's called us to come follow him. So he could come and begin to transform our lives to, get, to help us to walk in the ministry that he's called us to. And that's the desire that Jesus has for us, is that we would learn by him. Well, Jesus in the scriptures, he laid a foundation. And we've begun to talk about this as we've gotten into the actual ministry of Jesus as we go through Luke. And here we are in chapter 5, and he's beginning. There's a reason he went to that leper first. There's a reason that he did what he did. And he was showing us what is most important. And, and what he showed us was that, you know what, it is more important for you. Listen, it's more important for you to receive your identity from me than it is for you to walk in what would be the religious rules of the day. Yeah. And Jesus reached out and touched the leper. And then this story here that we're diving into. 
And we're going to spend some time going through some of this because I believe it's imperative that we understand some of these foundational things about us because we have these, you know, I mean, we have areas of our life where we revert back and don't even realize it because it never gets pointed out. And we need to understand that. And there's some very important things that Jesus is pointing out here, and I want us to receive this today. It's going to be kind of a different type of message. Um, I, I, we're going to get into, again, uh, totally dissecting the rest of this as we go into the, the coming days here, um, but I, uh, or coming weeks. But I want to read through this again. So you can join me by the screen up here. You can go to the app or open up your Bible. And uh, let's begin here in verse 17. And in one of those days, as he was teaching, so Jesus is teaching and preaching, his ministry, teaching, preaching, healing, ministering, delivering. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. So the religious folk were all there. And they had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. So now the heavy hitters are there. The big names are there as well. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So these guys came in the authority of men. Jesus came in the power of God to heal. And behold, some men were bringing, a be, uh, bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And again, I talked to you about that. I went on Facebook last night. I, I, I asked you, what is it that you're, not, that you're not willing to do to see your friends come to Jesus? What are you willing to do? I mean, did you, and don't show hands, or, but who did you invite to come to church today? Who did you this week go have coffee with with the purpose of sharing Jesus? Who did you do something nice for because you wanted to share the love of Jesus? Who did you witness to? Who did you tell about Jesus this week? Church, this should be our lifestyle. And I, again, I went on Facebook last night to encourage you to do that. These guys here, they were friends that did whatever it took. They overcame every obstacle that could have been there to get their friend to Jesus. Are you willing, are we willing to do whatever it takes to overcome any obstacle that would stop us from getting our friends to Jesus? Because our friends need Jesus. Do you know, without Jesus, your friends and family are going to hell? Well, I don't like to think about that. Well, shame on you. It's truth. Okay, that, you putting your head in the sand isn't going to change that. You being wishful. No. Our friends need Jesus. And if you want to be a real friend, then share what is the most real importance in their life. And verse 20. And then he saw their faith. And he said to him, and again, this is so important. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began questioning, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? People don't think Jesus called himself God. Verse 22, and when Jesus perceived their thoughts, and who can know the thoughts of man but God himself? He answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But you, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You know, do you know where that title, Son of Man, comes from? 
I'm going to teach that to you next week, so come on out and hear that. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Amen. Come on, amen. amen. Praise God. Wouldn't you be glorifying God? Amen. And amazement seized them all. Can't you imagine? Wow. <laughs> and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Do you know they, that was spoken? But do you know that their amazement wasn't enough to keep them on the path after Jesus? They still fell back into the religiousness of that day, the religiousness of their own heart. Don't just think that your amazement with Jesus is going to be enough. You need to study. You need to learn. You need to let the Holy Spirit convict you. You need to respond. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word that's been loosed in this place today. I thank you that your word is alive and that your word is active. I thank you that your word is able to do what no man can. Your word can do what I do not have the ability to do. And I pray, Lord, today that you would show yourself powerful and mighty, that you would cleanse the leper, that you would heal the paralytics, that you would do, Lord, in this place today what nobody can. We loose you to this place. God, have your way. Have your way in me. Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me a heart to receive. Lord, change my mind. Let me be transformed. I want to be more like you, Jesus, at the end of this day. Have your way in us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. So last week, we talked a lot about the Pharisees and the scribes. I went through and I felt it was important for us to understand who these guys were because the Gospel of Luke talks about it over and over and over again. Somewhere around 90 times throughout the Gospels is it brought up, these scribes and these Pharisees. And what happened was these guys were good guys. They had a good idea. You know, they, they, hey guys, this is my idea. Let's obey the Bible. That was their idea. And these were good guys gone bad. Their ideas, they just, they didn't have the follow through. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then we talked last week about bringing your friends. What are you willing to do to see your friends come to Jesus? And uh, again, I won't go back into that. You can listen to that um, next week or during the week and uh, get caught up. But I brought all of that up because I want to go into this point and spend a little time talking about this. Because church, there is a little Pharisee in all of us. There is a Pharisee in each and every one of us that is just longing to break out. In each and every one of us. That's why Jesus commanded us and said this in Mark chapter 8. He said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Watch out. Why? Was he saying watch out for those guys? No, he's saying watch out for the yeast. Oh, it may seem like a little thing, but it gets in and spoils the whole batch. And so Jesus gave us this command. So we need to understand that we have this propensity towards this. We all have a little religion in us. Every one of us. Nobody wants to admit it. Martin Luther said this. He said, religion is the default mode of the human heart. Well, no way, I'm not that, I'm not religious. 
I mean, for a lot of people, their religion becomes being unreligious or irreligious. You know, that's my religion. That's my religion today. I'm not religious. Oh, no. You know what? We got our whole church. Everybody's covered with tattoos and we got a punk rock worship band and half our church meets out back having smokes during the intermission part. And we all, hey, join us for beers and Bible study. (laughs) Praise God. We're not religious. Yes, you are. You're just tattooed, chain-smoking, beer-drinking religious people. You, you may be a much happier version, but still, it's religious just the same. Because church, it's not like there's religious people and unreligious people. It's not like there's religious people and irreligious people. We're all religious people. We all have a religion of one kind or another. Listen, it's just that the rules are different for each one. We have this place of religion. We've got to be so careful. That's why Jesus said, avoid, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees because we all have this religiousness in us. It's the default mode of the human heart. So what do we do? And, and again, in this world today, think about it. We, we create all sorts of things that are not biblical because of our religiosity. There's this thing today, and again, I think you'll see where so many of us fall into this. It's called religious separatism. And religious separatism, I think the most profound place or the most open place that we clearly see this is today, it's inside of Christian fundamentalism. It's all about this place of separation. And and I'm going to ask you to hear me, don't just... Don't just take the things that I'm going to say and, and toss them out. I'm going to ask you to carefully think about some of these things. I have had to confront some of these things in myself. Some of these things that I'm going to talk with you about are things that, man, oh, man, I probably preached these before. I probably told you at some point that there was somewhere that I was going to make this a biblical thing when it was more of a, conviction thing my convictions don't mean that that's biblical truth that's my conviction but in this place of separation we say things like you know what well you shouldn't watch secular television why well it's got sin in it well so does the bible What do, we, what do we do with that? Well, you shouldn't listen to secular radio. Well, why? Well, because they say things that aren't nice on there. You probably shouldn't go to church then either. <laughs> I've heard some pretty not nice things in church before. So, and again, I want you to be careful with this. But in religious separatism, we say, well, don't have any non-Christian friends. Don't let your kids have any non-Christian friends. Don't listen to non-Christian music. Don't read non-Christian books. Don't watch non-Christian shows. And again, there's got to be some convictions that we have. But the reason and why would we say those things is for the purpose of separation. And it becomes this. Our thoughts go to this. I can't be a part of that because I'm good and they're bad. 
And if me being good gets near those who are bad, then what's on those bad people is going to get on me. Again, I want you to hear me here. There's this thing called religious separatism. And today, Christian fundamentalists have created even another degree. It's called third degree or three degrees of separation. And again, we'll talk more about this because God talks about this in the scriptures. But the religious people in that day, they practiced separation too. Look at what they did, what those people did. They, they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, what are you doing eating with those guys? And Jesus is like, well, well they're sinners. We know, and it's going to get on you. Uh, no, I'm going to fix it. And that's what he did. And church, you'll see they freak out on Jesus over and over and over again. They freak out on Jesus because he was not only associating with people who are not the good guys. He was hanging out with guys. They're not the good guys, Jesus. Church, do you know the truth is this, that in the Bible, it's all bad guys? It's not like there's good guys and bad guys. There's one good guy. His name's Jesus. Jesus is the good guy. It's not a team of good guys. There's one good guy. Jesus is the only good guy. But what happens is religious people, they don't want, they don't want holy people to hang out with unholy people. You can't do that, but Christian fundamentalism takes it a step further and says there's a third degree of separation, which means holy people can't hang out with holy people who hang out with unholy people. Because, again, it's this place of just being separated. And church, we think it sounds so funny, but if you really stop and you really start to think about that, some of us have even begun to apply some of these things in our subconscious, in our lifestyle. When I said to you, you know, invite your unsaved friends, I, you know, were you at a point where you're going, well, I don't have any. Church, again, this whole thing, you can't have friends who have friends who have unholy friends. But listen, again, I, and I, I understand where that comes from. It just doesn't come from the Bible. Now, again, I, I, there's places where we have to Apply conviction in our lives. Wisdom in our lives. But church, Jesus obliterates all of this. When God comes into this world, and again, when Jesus came into the world, it was not a man born in this world that became God. It was God himself laying down the glory of heaven and stepping into this world and taking upon himself flesh. God became a man, and his entire walk on this earth was as God. He walked as fully God, fully man on this earth. And when he came into this world, God, the man Jesus Christ, he comes down and what's he do? He reaches out and touches lepers. He goes and he eats with sinners. He spends time with those who need Jesus, those who need him. But listen to me. In all of that that Jesus did, in all of that time, in all of those times that he spent with the sinners, does Jesus ever sin? No. He didn't go hang out with the sinners so he could sin with the sinners. Amen. He went with a purpose. He went with a plan. He went with, with the purpose of his life. Did Jesus break any Bible rules? 
Any actual biblical rules? No, he didn't break. He came and fulfilled them. But he didn't break the Bible rule. He didn't break biblical rules. He broke religious rules. And he broke all of them. Unabashedly, he broke all of them. And oftentimes, we we don't see this. But when Jesus came... Jesus called sinners to repentance, amen? What did he call sinners to repent of? Sin, right? Do you know that he also called the religious people to repent? Do you know what he called the religious people to repent of? Their religion. And the difference is that the sinners repented. And the religious rebelled. We see it in scripture. The sinners, they all wanted to have dinner with Jesus. The religious people, they heard that call and they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. It's the difference in this. In church, I want you to be zealous. I want you to be biblical. We love the Bible, but you need to be careful that in your zealousness, in your love for the Bible, in your passion, in your devotion to the word of God, that we don't end up falling back into this place of being a pharisaical, religious ideologue. We have to be careful because those guys, listen, they started off with a good idea. That was a great idea. Let's obey the Bible. And they got off base. Well, what happened? How did they get off base? Ever stop and think about, I mean, if Jesus warns us, and he does it multiple times, to avoid, to be watchful of the yeast of the Pharisees, what does that look like? What's the yeast? We need, if, if we're called to be watchful of something, we need to know what we're being watchful of. Because if we're not, then we have this inborn nature in us, this tendency to fall into what Jesus warned us against. It happens over and over and over again. So I want to take today, and I want to take the next few moments that we have together here and go through what I see in, as I've been looking at, studying, and talking through the life of the Pharisees and the scribes and what they were all about. And I want to take a look at them and see how they got off track. And I want to share that with you. And I want you to understand that you have in you the same tendencies towards some of the things that the Pharisees did. That's why Jesus, in his word, warned us. Make sense? So I want to look at what, some, what I see to be some of those tendencies. And first is, is in their lives, these guys were proud. They were filled with pride. Their thoughts were, we're the good guys, you're the bad guys. We have answers you have questions. We have solutions. You got problems. And this is where these guys went. And the real error, and again, I want you to hear this. I'm going to just be vulnerable with you here for a moment. But the real error of their pride got them to the place where they began to believe that the Bible is perfect. And so is our interpretation. That the Bible is perfect. And so are the Bible teachers. 
Church, I want you to know the Bible is absolutely perfect. Your pastor is not. Who said amen? Listen, the Bible is perfect. I am not. And church, in this culture in which we live today, the, the culture wants to inundate us with this idea that if we don't agree with somebody about something, then, then we are at odds with each other and we can't cohabitate, we can't co-labor, we can't co-mingle together because we don't agree on everything. And so we think that we have to find a place where I just agree with everything. Listen, in, in new, at New Life here, you do not have a problem if you disagree with me on some issues. You don't. Why? Because we're both imperfect human beings. I'll tell you, you have a problem, church, if you never find anything you disagree with. Because you have put perfection on a fallible human being. And there is no way that that's going to happen. You have put, if you, if you do that, you put the person that you're looking at in the position of a scribe. And in the position of a scribe, you look at that person with authority, you look at them and you know that they walk in that authority and they study the word of God, they study what's going on in the word of God, they know that it's a blessing to be under the word of God. Yes, we do that, we walk in that, we see those people and so whatever they say, it must be true. No, I've told you this before. Don't take what I say is the Bible because it's not. Only the Bible is true. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the truth. He did not say Mark is the truth. He said, I am the truth. Mark's doing the best he can to share me with you. And then it becomes the truth. I am blessed. I am graced by God to be standing before you with the privilege of sharing the word of God. And I do the best I can. I do the best I can to rightly discern, to rightly divide the word of God. But church, no teacher, no teacher, no pastor, no ministry is perfect. Why? Because we don't love God? No, but it's because we're not God. So you got to be really careful about authors that you read about podcasters that you listen to, pastors that you love, ministries that you follow. You, you need to be really careful when you find those ones that you just never find anything you disagree with. Because what happens is we've extended inerrancy outside of Scripture, and we extend inerrancy to fallible human teachers. And it becomes pride. Now, let me also say this. It doesn't mean that you come into church with a critical attitude thinking, I'm going to pick this guy apart. I'm going to find out what's wrong and what I don't agree with, and I'm going to let everybody know. Well, oftentimes, you're going to let everybody know how wrong you are. Listen, no, we, there's going to be things that we don't agree with, and I understand that. I tell you that. Go study the scriptures yourself. Go find out what the Word of God has to say. But when you come into church, you should be coming into church saying, you know what? That guy up there, he's not Jesus. And I'm not going to look at him that way. He's one of those servants, and he's doing the best he can to take the Word of God and to rightly divide it. But his messages are not the Bible. They're commentary on the Bible. 
And so I'm going to take hold of what God has given me, what I can take hold of. I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply it to my life. And I'm going to let the things that I don't agree with cause me to dig deeper into the word of God and to find out where that truth is and let God, by the power of his word, change my mind or change my heart. Or I'm going to say, this is where I find that. I'm going to go talk to the pastor. Because I want to share with him this revelation that I found. Church, that's the way in which that should be. I am not going to walk in a place of pride that says, you know what? No, what I say is the gospel. It's not. What I say is my interpretation of the gospel. And I know very well that it's not perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number two are the cessationalists. The sensationists, they, they believe, listen, let me just tell you what we believe. We believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active today. We believe that the Holy Spirit, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is still distributing his gifts amongst his people. We believe that the Holy Spirit is producing fruit in our lives. We believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting us in regards to sin and in regards to righteousness. We believe it is the Holy Spirit that will come and reveal Jesus and lead us to him. We believe that it's the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and speaks to us. We believe it's the Holy Spirit who speaks through the word of God, through your conscience, through that small, still voice, through God's people. We believe it is the Holy Spirit who does those things that we, that we might be drawn into the image of Christ, that we might be learning how to serve others and bring glory to God. He does all of those things in our life to help correct the course of our life. And we believe he's alive and active today doing that. But oftentimes in many of the religious circles, assuming that the Holy Spirit has ceased his work. And it may, they're, they're, again, you'll be surprised if you start to do a study on some of this, how many ministries fall into this category. What happens, though, is it may not be like we don't deny the workings of the Holy Spirit. We just don't think that you need the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. We'll take care of that. We, you don't need the Holy Spirit to teach you. We'll take care of that. You don't need the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. We'll tell you what to do. You don't need the Holy Spirit really for anything. You've got spiritual leaders that will tell you. Just obey them. Church, th it, this is not so far out and so, so out there that, um, honestly, you probably, many of you, would be absolutely shocked at some of the ministries that fall in these categories. And it happens. But it replaces the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life with religious leaders. And that should never be so. And again, those who are the most religious sometimes today are the most opposed to the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. One, because again, there's been so many misuses and it becomes easy for us to begin to do that and to begin to really portray, you know what, you really can't trust the Holy Spirit today because you can't trust those that are, walking, are operating and walking in the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know what, you can't really trust them. Trust the teacher. And those teachers will then inadvertently begin to cause us to doubt the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit in our life.
Amen. Amen. Number three, these guys were unloving. And Jesus, he rebukes them for it over and over and over again. You're not loving. And what did they do? They wanted to argue with him about what love is. Well, love, you know, they, they went and got all theological. You know, it's so easy when we start talking about love and loving others and loving our enemies and loving the way Jesus said to get all caught up in theology land. And these guys began to live in their head, began to live in their thoughts, began to live in their intentions rather than to just say, you know what, you're right. I'm a jerk and I act like one and I've been treating people like one and I'm mean-spirited. I say things that I shouldn't say. I gossip. I, I, I criticize people. I am not acting out in a loving way. I'm not serving people. I'm not doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I live in my head. I live in this land of theology and everything becomes a theological argument. It becomes unloving. Listen, you realize that the people there in that day, the sinners, they wanted to go have dinner with Jesus. They didn't want to go have dinner with the Pharisees. They didn't. People flocked to Jesus in ways they didn't flock to the Pharisees. Why? Because Jesus was loving. Jesus was accepting. Jesus said, come to me just as you are. Jesus called people to himself and he loved people. The Pharisees, they criticized, they judged, they looked down on. Jesus, he accepted people with open arms. Jesus cared about people. Number four, they were, and this is a big one, they were hypocritical. Man, Jesus is so clear about this. Look, read, read, I told you last week, but read Matthew chapter 23. Go through that whole chapter and take a look how over and over and over and over again Jesus comes against this hypocritical spirit that the religious people had. He said to them, you have this list of all these rules and you enforce it like you're the sheriff, yet you don't even follow those rules yourself. And, and that's what religious people do. Hey, these last couple of years, you know, the king, the, the, I don't want to say the kingdom of God, but, you know, the, uh, Christianity has taken some awful blows from some of the people that we found out were hypocrites. Doesn't it make you sometimes just want to vomit when you see somebody who stood up and preached about holiness and preached about uh, purity and, and find out later they're tied up in a porn addiction or having affairs? How would you feel if you found out after I stood up and preached to you the message that I'm preaching to you today and a couple months down the road you found out I was having an affair through the whole thing? Wouldn't you be like, it's sick. What is wrong with you? That is so hypocritical. I can't, haven't we had enough? And church, haven't we had enough? Where is integrity today? Where is character today? There's got to be a point where we say, seriously, come on. We don't need any more of this. Stop preaching one thing and doing another. It's not helping the kingdom of God. It's not helping the cause of Christ. It's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy happens when, when we begin to believe that we're the hero, not Jesus. Yes. Acting like they're beyond the law, but they're not. Church, it comes down to this. 
people who judge others by their actions and judge themselves by their intentions. It's hypocrisy. And it's emptying churches out, not filling them up. Jesus said, watch, watch for the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus rebukes them. You guys are hypocrites. You guys are a brood of vipers. You guys are snakes. I mean, come on, he gets really strong. Those are words that Jesus used, not me. It's hypocrisy. I had a, a, years ago, I had a pastor friend, a big church. He was on the staff. He was one of the staff pastors. And he had uh, gotten caught up in and uh, got caught in an affair. And the board of the church, the elders and the pastors called him in. And they were confronting him on this affair. And one of the pastors that was there was telling me how he was, this, this other pastor was just appalled by how this guy could do it. They were friends. How could you do that? I cannot believe that you, it's disgusting. What well, came out a couple months later that during that whole time, he was in the middle of an affair himself. Church, that's as religious as it gets. The fifth point is that it's joyless. It's not fun. Fundamentalism isn't fun. It's, it's just not. It's mental. And it's not fun. And again, just think about it. When you think about religion, how many religious people do you look at and go, they sure do look like some happy people. Usually they look like they've been sucking on lemons. Furrowed brow, deep grimace. You kids get away from here. Most of the time, they're defined by what they're against. They're defined by what you shouldn't do, right? Why you shouldn't. And you're always, there are those people that come in and sometimes they come in in what would look like the most unreligious covering and they come in and all they do is complain about everything and everyone. They come in and they rail against this and they rail against that. They're so upset about this and so upset about that. All upset, of, they're, listen, they're no fun at all. They're not. That's why, and I want you to hear this, that's why so oftentimes their kids, as soon as they can, they leave and they rebel and they go to sin. Because, hey, at least those people that are, that are in sin, they look like they're having fun. Yeah. Church, in Christ, we should be having more fun than the people that are in sin are having. Right. We should be enjoying Jesus more than they're enjoying the devil. There should be something in us that's enjoying and really just uh, loving Jesus, loving what's going on, and it should be infectious. Right. Our kids can make all sorts of choices, but they should at least be going, but, but you know what, I never knew anybody as happy as mom and dad or as those people over there. We shouldn't be joyless. Jesus, Jesus was filled with sorrow. The Bible talks about how he stood over Jerusalem in tears, weeping. But Jesus, he was joy-filled. And because of that, people were drawn to him. We should be a church that people are drawn to. I don't know why, but man, those people are happy, and I want to be happy. Number six, 
is methodology. I, I don't know if that's actually a word, but we're going to call it methodology. Okay, so in the Bible, the Bible gives us a couple of things. The Bible gives us principles, and the Bible gives us methods. Okay, it tells us there's principles. The Bible says that we're supposed to, hey, if your neighbor's in need, give him the coat off your back. Okay, the principle is that we need to give to our neighbor. The method is give him the coat off your back. That may change. The principles do not change, but the methods may. The methods may be different. The methods may be changing. But methodology is what I'm calling is methodology happens when we take the method and make the method our idol. How we do it, what we do is the most important thing. Methodology is, is the Bible tells us to do this, and then we decide that this is the way we do it, and the only way to do it is our way. Let me give you some examples. The Bible says worship God. And there are those who say, well, you can only worship God out of the sacred hymnal. You can only worship, you can't worship God with drums. You can, you can only worship God with an organ because that's the only thing they had in Jesus' day. <laughs> or the other side of that. Well, you can't worship God without a seven-piece band. And a fog machine. <laughs> and stage lights. And six singers slash dancers. Yeah, or, or this. Well, you, you can't worship God sitting down. No, 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 no. If you're going to worship God, you got to worship God like this. And you gotta, you, you gotta, if you really want to worship, you gotta jump. <laughs> if you want to be really, really holy, you gotta dance. But that's worship. See, even, even in our Pentecostalism, we come into these places of religiosity and begin to say, hey, there's only one way to do this. And that's our way. If you're not singing out of the hymnal or you're not, you know, dancing at the altar you're not worshiping or Ephesians 6 says train up your children in the way in which it goes well you know what that's what you do and this is what you have to teach them and this is how you have to teach them we, we, we get into those places the Bible says preach the word of God teach the word of God memorize the word of God learn the word of God and we say yes and you can only use this version because that's the version that Jesus used. <laughs> Church, it's, it's, it's always this thing of methodology. We, we take these methods and we make idols out of them. And I want you, please, don't take me wrong. I want you to have deep, passionate convictions. I have convictions in my life that may sound like religious rules to you. And if I tried to tell you my convictions and, and say, and you need to have the same ones, it becomes methodology. But I'm not going to change my convictions just because you don't have the same ones. Amen. My convictions are things that came out of my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to hold fast to those convictions. But let me also tell you, those are my convictions. They're not the Bible. And, and I'm going to walk in those convictions. And I want you to have them. 
But I will tell you this, I'm gonna hold tight to the principles of those convictions and I am gonna hold loosely to the methods by which I see them fulfilled in my life. Because I'm not gonna commit methodology. It's not my way or you're just not biblical. And I will tell you, I will repent before you and tell you that I know inadvertently this is what I have done in the past. I have taken things that God has put on me and made as a conviction in my life and I have portrayed that as a, as a biblical truth to you and it's not a biblical truth. It's not. It, it may be true, but it's not a biblical truth because it's my conviction. And I repent for that because I want you to live by your convictions by the convictions the Holy Spirit brings to you, okay? And again, there's a lot of people that are out there that they love God, they love Jesus, they believe the Bible, they believe in the Bible, and they're from different denominations. They don't worship the same way that we worship, or they don't preach, I mean, their pastor does it the biblical way, it's a 22-minute message. (laughs) There are people that are out there that love Jesus and they're from a different team, a different tribe, a different preference. But church, if they love Jesus, if they believe the Bible, if they're acting out their principles, who do we think we are to say, you know what, I don't know about those people. I'm not sure about that guy. We should be separated. We shouldn't be around. Now again, I am talking about Christianity here. I am not talking about false religions. I'm not talking about cults. I'm not talking about religions that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Okay, I am not talking about that. But I am talking about brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That it's God, Jesus, who walked on this earth, died for us, and rose again to give us new life. They are family. And church, we need to praise God for the diversity that's out there. Praise God for the diversity and avoid this thing called methodology. And last, and and let me have the worship team come back up. These guys were powerful. How did they get to be so powerful? You know, how did they get to be so influential? How did they get the power that they had? Well, often, many of them, they they were educated. They were the smart guys who were supposed to tell the not as smart guys what the smart guys know. And they would do it boldly. And they would do it confidently. And they would do it loudly. And they had this education. These guys could rattle off verses like they were Jeopardy questions. They knew the Bible. They had verses memorized. They, they would speak them, and, and, and people would sit back. And I know that there's times when we can do this too. This is why I warn you to be careful about YouTube. It can sound so biblical. It can sound so good. It sounds so, it sounds so right. And it's not even necessarily that it sounds so right, but they just make it sound like it should sound so right. Make it sound so good and they're so serious and and they're so confident and they're so bold with it and they just speak out and they, they, they know scriptures and they add scriptures and they're willing to die on every hill. And, and people are listening. Look at how many followers he has. People are listening to him. I should too. Church, no. Listen, you can be totally zealous and wrong.
You can be biblical and unbiblical. Meaning, you can take the Bible and you can quote the verses and you can quote the scriptures and do it outside of the heart in which God intended those verses and scriptures to be used. And you begin to wound people with the word of God, not help them, not love them, not care for them, not do what God intended to do in their lives. You can take and you can just cut people's ears off with the sword. And they just won't hear. They don't want to hear. They're not going to listen anymore. Why? Because you took the sword, just like in the garden, and you took the sword and you cut the ear off of the guy who was there to hear. Church, that's religious people. And God calls us to fight that natural inclination to fall into that. He, He calls us, he says, you need to fight against this. Guard against. Watch against the yeast of the Pharisees because it is in our fallen nature to default to religion to religiosity it's in that fallen nature look, think about this in the very beginning in the garden, how many rules were there? one rule he said said this don't eat of that one tree Everything else, everything else, it's yours. Go for it. And God showed up every morning to walk with them in the cool of the day, to talk with them and to speak with them. Church, in the garden, there weren't a lot of rules. You know what there was? There was a relationship. And God's intent was that our life would flow out of that relationship with God. Not out of a bunch of rules. Well, what did they do? They broke the one rule. What's the first thing they did? They realized their nakedness. And the first thing, their natural inclination now in this fallen state was I got to find something to cover my nakedness. And God saw all this and he killed an animal and made animal skins or in other words this was in our fallen state the birth of religion the offering of sacrifice the covering up of our sin the covering up of our fallen nature When Jesus Christ came into this world as the Lamb of God, He came into this world. He died for the sins of the world, that whoever would call upon His name would be saved. And we could be restored back into a what? Into a religion? No. Into a relationship with God, where no longer are there all of these rules that we need to try to cover ourselves with. God doesn't want our life to try to flow out of this rule and that rule and this rule and that rule. He told us, you can't do it. No, none are perfect. No, not one. And so God in this resurrected life has given us this privilege of life flowing out of the relationship that we can have as we walk with him again in the cool of the day. Listen, is your life of Christ, is your life formed more out of religion or out of relationship? 
Are you just trying to follow all the rules and check the A's, the B's, and the C's? Or are you just hearing from God and receiving these convictions and learning what the Bible says and applying it to my life, allowing ourselves out of this to experience God in a, a, a completely different way? Look, it, it may not be that you're going to do anything different. It just flows from a different place in us not outside of us because like the video we saw God wants to minister to the inside of the cup where the relationship moves in our heart not how much we can conform ourselves to some religious ideology that we just happened to fall into are you in a relationship with Jesus the Christ today. That's honestly what I want to leave you with. If not, today is the day for you to call upon his name. Say, Jesus, I, I have followed this religion. I've heard about religion. I, in fact, it's made me sick. I, I'm only here today because somebody drugged me. You know what? If that's you, the message is for you today. We need to come into a relationship with Jesus because only the person of Christ in us, the sacrifice he made for us, can save us. Will you today say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. God, bring your heart to mine. Lord, I want to be in a relationship with you. I'm so sick and tired of the religiousness of things. I'm so sick and tired. Come on, has the word, has this word, has this given you today, this message given you some hope in, in what God has done? Oh, I don't mean you're not going to have questions. I, there's a lot of things that I said that it's like, ah, I'm gonna, that's going to leave them with some unended questioning. Okay, good. Dig into it. What are you gonna do with this Christ? Jesus. He loves you and he wants you. And he gave himself up so that you would find eternal life. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we come and thank you, God, that you are so gracious and so good. That you love us, Lord God, that you love us, Father God. Oh, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you love us as a, a, a father, as a brother, as a comforter. I thank you, Lord God, that you've drawn each one today because of your love for us. If there's any in this place today, Lord, draw them to yourself. Man, just, just today, just call out to him. If you're, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, just ask, Lord God, will you come into my life? I'm not perfect. I've got so many faults and flaws and so many things that I've done. But could you forgive me? Could I know what it feels like to be away from the condemnation that's in my own heart? God, I, I've cleansed the outside. But God, can you come and move in my life to cleanse the inside? Jesus, I need you. It's as simple as that. Just call out to him. Begin a relationship with Jesus, not dictated by a bunch of laws and rules, but dictated by your daily fellowship with Him. Call out to Him. 
Come have your way, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him all Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him I'm going to dive into that portion where he talks about the forgiveness of sin, the healing that came, and begin to look at that. It will be a great week for you to bring somebody that may not know Jesus, to bring them to a place where they could begin to hear and maybe understand this whole thing about sin and forgiveness and what does it mean, why is it important, and give them the opportunity to make their own choice, to make a decision. But I guarantee you, you have some people in your life that need to know those things. The question is, will you invite them? What are you willing to do to get your friends to Jesus? Amen? God bless you. Go be the church. Don't forget today, they're having the uh, Life Group Wars at 4 o'clock. The information is out there. God bless you. Have a beautiful day today. I love you, church. Go. Be the church.